morning. My name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look with you at Luke chapter 9 that Sarah just read for us. Can I encourage you to have your Bible open? Luke chapter 9. We'll read again verses 1 to 17. Think about what it means and how it applies to us. Let's ask God for his help. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. We pray that you'll help us now to understand more of who he is and what he's done for us, that we might grow in our trust in him and our desire to serve him. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing I'm learning about middle age is this. It's very expensive. It is very expensive. I think one of the issues with middle age is that... um, well, there are all kinds of issues. A few weeks ago, Carmen and I went to see the uh, Presbyterian denomination's financial advisor. He wanted us to review our superannuation and life insurance. Uh, turns out we don't have any life insurance. He said, how much life insurance do you want? And I said, well, I still want to be more valuable alive than dead. I don't want to provide any temptation to my wife. You know, if I'm more valuable dead than alive. Anyway, we, we reviewed our uh, superannuation and our life insurance. And as part of the process, he made us write down all our income and all our expenses, something we haven't done for probably 30 years or so, but uh, we did as we were told. I was amazed at the amount of money that we burned through. Uh, The thing is that we're not just paying for ourselves, we're just in that time of life where we're paying for the generations above and below us. So we're paying for the generation above us. We're paying for my mother-in-law's nursing home and house and bills and so on. Uh, Also paying for the generation below us, giving food and lodging and education for four children. So many expenses, tens and tens of thousands of dollars going out the door. And disturbingly, at this stage in our lives, more money going out than coming in. No wonder then that thinking about money can make me feel a bit anxious. As I watch our, as I watch our mortgage gradually get bigger rather than smaller, as a new bill comes onto my desk, it, it's easy to get stressed. It's also easy to get stingy. Even stingy about uh, God's kingdom. So, for example, just any random example, mission month comes around, and uh, the temptation is to skimp. The temptation is to to, to put it off to a year when, when maybe we'll have less financial commitments. Do you, do you worry about money? Do you worry about how to provide for yourself, how to provide for your family? Because th- things, are, things are a bit tough at the moment, aren't they? Petrol prices are high. Gas prices are high. Grocery prices are going up. Interest rates are on the way up. Wage growth for many people is not keeping up with inflation and it is easy to get anxious, isn't it? And it is tempting to be, well, to be stingy. Stingy when it comes to things like mission month. As we come into Luke's gospel, as we come into Luke's gospel, the disciples have been with Jesus for a while now. They've got to know him and, and, uh, and they've been following him and learning from him. But now as part of their training, it sort of makes them go the next step. And as part of their training, also I think to get the, mis- the, the, the message out there faster, Jesus sends them on a mission. He sends them out to, do, to, to replicate what he's been doing. They have to proclaim the kingdom of God, 
proclaim the kingdom of God, and uh, Jesus gives them authority as well to show that they're his authorised representatives. He gives them authority to, to drive out demons and to heal diseases. Luke chapter 9 and verse 1, have a look with me. Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus now gives them their instructions for this training mission. And the big thing about it is this. They have to travel light. Jesus won't let them take any provisions at all. They're not allowed to take anything with them. And when they arrive at a new town, they have to just stay in one place. No kind of shopping around for the best Airbnb deal. No seeking out wealthy people to support them or anything like that. Jesus says, just stay in one place and get on with the job. It's an important part of their training to take no provisions. Why? Well, because Jesus is trying to teach them to have an instinct to look to him to provide rather than to themselves. He wants them to learn to rely on him to provide, not on themselves. Verse 3, he told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. Jesus talks about what to do if people won't receive the message, if they won't receive, uh, won't, won't welcome them. He says, don't stay where you're not wanted. Move on. There's plenty to do. He says, shake the dust off your feet. It's a, it's a sign of repudiation by God uh, to show that if you reject the message of God's kingdom, God is going to reject you. Verse 5. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so the disciples head off. They head off on their training mission, verse 6. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Well, now in these next verses, we, we, we get a glimpse of the, the impact of the disciples' mission, of the, the, the success of their mission. Because lots of people are now hearing about Jesus, Twelve times as many people are out there proclaiming the gospel as before. Lots of people are hearing about Jesus. Lots of people are hearing about the kingdom of God. So much so that they've even come to the attention of King Herod. Now, Herod here is called a tetrarch. Uh, he's called a tetrarch because he's the, he's the ruler of a, a, a quarter, a fourth of a particular area in the Roman Empire. The message is getting out there. It's making a stir. It's being heard, even coming to the attention of the authorities. But there is a dark side, because you don't necessarily want to, come, want to come to Herod's attention. He's already killed John the Baptist, and now he wants to see Jesus, no doubt to assess what kind of a threat he is. Verse 7. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed. Because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, well, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. 
The apostles return from their mission. They report to Jesus about how things went. Now, Luke doesn't tell us particularly how things went, but uh, it must have gone okay. If, if even Herod has heard about them now, things must have gone all right, and they mustn't have starved on their mission. It's not like they sort of staggered and collapsed into his arms, having had no food. Um, seems that God has provided for them. There's no mention about, you know, you didn't let us take a second shirt, and we really stunk after the third day or something like that. No, no, God, God seems to have provided for them. Things seem to have gone well. Anyway, Jesus wants to take them on a bit of a retreat. Uh, get some rest, maybe debrief a bit, something like that. Doesn't work out, though, because crowds come to them and Jesus is so compassionate. He doesn't say, sorry, it's day off, come back another day. No, 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 he, 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 can't, he can't help himself but welcome them. Verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. It starts to get late. The crowds are still there in this remote place. The disciples look at their resources and think, well, there's not really much we can do for these people. Time for them to leave. Time for them to go and find food somewhere. Go and find somewhere to stay. Verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. Uh, sounds sensible, don't you reckon? They're in the wilderness. But Jesus sees another training opportunity. He sees another training opportunity for his disciples. And so he comes up with a different idea. Verse 13, he replied, You give them something to eat. Now remember the context here. The disciples have just returned from their mission. A mission where they took nothing with them. Not, not even a packet of chips. For weeks or for months or however long it was that they were on their mission, Jesus provided them with everything that they needed. Not to mention the fact that he gave them miraculous powers. They've been healing people. They've been driving out demons. Or if you go further back in, in, in the history of the disciples with Jesus, here's the bloke who filled their boats with so many fish that they practically, the boats were about to sink. Jesus has provided for them up until now. Jesus has now given them a challenge. I want you to feed these people here. But still their instinct is not to look to Jesus. They don't say, okay, Jesus, sounds like a good challenge. How are you going to help us do that? How are you going to provide for us now? No, no. They don't look to Jesus at all. Their first instinct is still to look to their own resources, look to what they have, the few bits of food they have, or maybe to go to the shops. They're looking to themselves, and so they are anxious, and so they are stingy. Still in verse 13, they answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. Can you see they still haven't learned the lesson of their mission? 
Their instinct isn't, look to Je- isn't to look to Jesus to provide. Their instinct is to look to themselves, their own resources. And so now Jesus gives another extraordinary, powerful, wonderful lesson. He miraculously provides God's people with food in the wilderness. He gives it to the disciples. They give it to the people. And their meager resources in the hands of the Lord Jesus become more than enough for everyone. In fact, they even, they even each end up with a doggy bag of leftovers to take home. Verse 14. About 5,000 men were there, but he said to his disciples, have them sit down in, down in groups of 50 each, of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the, to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I, I, I don't exactly know how to picture what happened here. Did those little bits of bread suddenly turn into these gigantic things of bread or something like that? Big whales or suddenly instead of fish or maybe just as he kept going it just kept coming something like that hard to picture exactly but there's enough for everyone although i think it's more than just a provision miracle does it remind you of anything in the old testament do you reckon anything god providing miraculous bread for his people in the wilderness reminding you of anything that's that's the story of the exodus isn't it? When God provides for his people through Moses and and the manna in the wilderness. Jesus miraculously provides food for God's people in the wilderness and so what's he showing? He's showing he's the greater Moses. He, He can provide like Moses. Jesus is the leader who can provide for his people, who can who can bring us through the wilderness of this life and into the ultimate promised land of the new heaven and new earth. Jesus can give us everything we need and ultimately a place in the promised land. All right, can you see what's here then in Luke chapter 9? Jesus sends the disciples out on the training mission, preach the kingdom, heal, drive out demons, and take nothing. Just get on with serving me. Don't stress about providing for yourself. Don't, Don't worry about your own resources. Just get out there and do the job. The mission is a success. Even Herod gets to hear about Jesus, and Jesus does provide. He tries to take the disciples aside for a retreat. The crowds come. Jesus teaches and heals. He then says to his disciples, another test, another training exercise, I want you to feed this crowd. They don't know how to do it. They look to themselves again, anxious, stingy. But once again, Jesus provides, and not you know, half a loaf for each person. No, no, no. As much as anyone can eat and, and basketfuls of leftovers, Jesus miraculously feeds God's people in the wilderness. So what's the big idea? What, what do you think is the lesson for the disciples here from their mission and, and, and from the feeding of the 5,000? Well, they need to learn that Jesus can provide, don't they? Jesus is bringing them, like Moses, to the promised land. He can provide this promised land for them and he can provide for them on the way as they, as they serve him through the wilderness on the way. Jesus wants his disciples to stop stressing and to get on with serving him. 
All right, well, let's think about what this passage means for us as people on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. How does this passage apply to us? Uh, Two things to say. Firstly, uh, Jesus has provided for our eternity. And second, Jesus can provide for us in this life. He has provided for our eternity. He can provide for this life. Let's think a little bit more about each of those two points. Point number one is this. Uh, Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has made the ultimate provision for us. He has prepared, well, what are some of the images? He's prepared a place for us in the Father's house. He has uh, given us a place in God's kingdom. He has established the promised land for us and given us tickets to the promised land. He has done what it takes for us to be with God forever. Jesus has provided for our eternity. Now, one thing I'm inclined to do as I worry about money and bills and so on is this. I I catastrophize. I think there is no way we can afford this bill. We're going to go bankrupt. My kids are going to starve. We'll be out on the streets. We'll be lying in the gutter. Am I the only one who is like this? Sorry if I am. Do you ever have that sense of catastrophe? As you look at your bank balances, you start, you start to feel the whole, the whole world is crashing in on top of you. It starts to consume your thoughts. You lie awake at night worrying, how am I going to carry, how am I going to cope? It's nonsense, of course. It's nonsense. I mean, unless something terrible happens, like Russia decides to invade us or something like that, none of that stuff is going to happen. Unless you do something really stupid, like get addicted to heroin or spend all your money at the casino or something like that, you're not going to end up on the streets. We've got way more than we need. This catastrophizing bears no resemblance to reality whatsoever. But the thing is, even if our worst catastrophizing comes true, even if, even if our worst fears come to pass, even if the worst case scenario happens, where does it end? It ends with us in heaven. Friends, in the scheme of eternity, it's just not as big a deal as we make it. I think a few thousand years in heaven, you'll have long forgotten that bill that you're so stressed about at the moment. So when we're starting to feel overwhelmed, we need to take a breath. Step back. See the bigger picture. It's not just about me. It's about Jesus, and he has secured our eternity he's provided us a place in heaven forever reminds me a bit of that uh, that parable that jesus told you know the parable of the the merchant who's looking for pearls and then he sees this pearl that he just is so valuable and so he, he sells everything you know, goes home has a garage sale sells all this stuff sells the garage sells the house um you know sells off the wife and kids sells off all his clothes and, and until finally he's left sitting in the gutter in his undies with this pearl in his hand and with a big grin on his face why because he knows that what he has in that pearl is worth way more than everything else put together We need to step back, get some perspective, and see the truth. God's eternal kingdom is ours. Our little cash flow hiccup is just not that important in the scheme of things. Jesus gives us a place in his eternal kingdom. And even if he gave us nothing else ever, even if Jesus gave us nothing else from this point, 
we're going to spend the rest of eternity delighting in what he has already provided, this ultimate provision. That was point number one. Now, Jesus has provided the ultimate provision for us, the ultimate promised land. It's not just, though, that Jesus provides a place for us in heaven. And this is the second point of application. Jesus reminds us that God will provide for us on the way, like he did for the Israelites. Jesus can provide for this life. Through Jesus, God is our loving Heavenly Father. Through Jesus, God knows even the hairs on your head. He owns everything in this world. He knows what we need and he loves us in the Lord Jesus. The idea that we have to worry about everything, the idea that it's up to us to eke out our own existence, the idea that we need to look to our own resources, the idea that it's it, 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 somehow our stressing or our being stingy is going to fix things, friends, that is pagan thinking. That is the thinking of people who do not know God as their father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said this. He said, do not worry. Genesis is not a suggestion, is it? Jerry Bridges wrote a book called um, Respectable Sins. And one of the chapters is about anxiety. It's a disturbing chapter because anxiety is a sin. It is a failure to believe that God, as your loving father, cares for you and loves you and is able to provide. Do not worry, Jesus says. Do not worry, saying, what should we eat? Or what should we drink? Or what should we wear? Or what about interest rates? Or what about... No, no, the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. It's easy when you worry about money to think that it's all up to you, isn't it? To, 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 that you have to fix everything. It's so easy to run around like a stressed pagan to forget that there is a God who through Jesus is your loving provider. So what's it going to mean in practice? What difference should it make to us as we stress about money and bills and expenses to trust that Jesus can provide? Now, I don't think it means we need to do what the disciples did. I don't think there's any particular godliness in going out as a missionary and never asking for money or just waiting for things to drop in your lap or anything like that. I don't think it means we shouldn't get a job. I don't think it means we shouldn't work. I don't think it means we shouldn't be faithful stewards of our money. Wisdom still applies. We still live in this world. But I think it will make a difference. I think it will make a difference if we believe Jesus can provide. I think it'll change our instincts. And I think it'll change our perception of the resources that are available to us. When we're stressed about a bill or something like that, we need to talk to ourselves about it. When you're stressed, take the opportunity to say to yourself something like this, God has provided for me up until now. I haven't gone without before. And he's my loving Heavenly Father. He wants me to trust him to provide. And so this thing that I'm stressed about, it's not actually a bad thing at all. This, this thing that I'm stressed about, this is a gift from God to test me, to help me know whom I should trust. Am I trusting in me or am I trusting in God? 
We need to say to ourselves something like this, and this has become a bit of a mantra for me. God can provide, God has provided, God will provide, and I need to stop stressing. Talk to ourselves. Also, we need to talk to God, we need to pray. When we're stressed about bills or expenses or whatever, it is a good thing, it's a good instinct to turn to God, to turn to God, to say to God, Father, I look to you to provide, I trust you to provide, please give us what we need, and then to realise you're asking your Father who owns everything in the entire world. I remember one time I was extremely stressed, I've told you about this before, when uh, my son Joel... um, crashed his car and uh, it turned out that I'd messed up the insurance and so the car wasn't insured and the car he crashed into wasn't insured and I ended up getting shingles. I was so stressed about it. But meanwhile, I have a father, an earthly father, who gave Joel the car in the first place and who's a very wealthy man. And so after all the stress and all the anxiety, my dad went, don't worry about it, I'll pay for it. And he did. I was just looking in the wrong place and seeing my small resources instead of seeing the way bigger resources that were there. You turn to God in prayer, massive, inexhaustible resources are there. Two points of application. Jesus has provided for our eternity and Jesus can provide for this life. Uh, Just one one more idea before we finish, though. Uh, Jesus doesn't just say stop stressing about the things of this world. Uh, Like with his disciples, he wants us to get on with serving him. He tells us, stop stressing about things in this world. Make serving me your number one priority. Let me read on from Matthew chapter 6 that we read before. Do not worry, says Jesus, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. It doesn't say, therefore, just relax. No, no, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Notice it's a whole different direction. You know the resources that your heavenly Father will provide for you, so get on with serving him. Get on with making him the priority. It's not just that we shouldn't worry like pagans. We should serve with generosity and with enthusiasm. We mustn't let our worries about money or bills get in the way of serving Jesus. We mustn't dedicate our lives to expanding our own resources, get on with chasing the stuff of this world and and stop serving Jesus. Or if I might be more directly topical for a moment, we shouldn't let our financial worries cause us to be anything less than spectacularly generous with our missionaries this mission month. This mission month is another test for you and me. It's a test to see who we rely on. Are we seeking first God's kingdom? Or are we running around like pagans, stressing about money? Jesus has provided for our eternity, the ultimate promised land. Jesus can provide for us on the way. And what he wants us to do is stop stressing and start serving. Stop stressing, start seeking first his kingdom. I suspect it's going to be a few years before my family's, before my family's cash flow improves. Uh, maybe after the kids stop school and leave home and all that kind of stuff, we'll have a lot more money. I'm not looking forward to that. I certainly don't want that to happen. I'd much rather have them with me. Uh, I guess the other thing is my mother-in-law. 
perfectly happy that she's looking very healthy and looks like she's going to outlive me at the moment. Um, <laughs> I'm not looking for anything else. Not wishing for kids to go or parents to go. But meanwhile, this time is a good test. It's a good test. Do I believe that Jesus can provide? Am I looking to me? Am I looking to him? Am I stressing about stuff? Or am I seeking first God's kingdom? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have provided for us more than we can ever imagine in a new heaven and new earth through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please help us to delight in that. And thank you so much that you are, even now, our loving Heavenly Father who has counted even every hair on our head. Thank you that we are precious to you. That's your promise. So help us. Help us to look to you to provide. Help us to seek first your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.